good morning again. Welcome those in the auditorium. Welcome those who are worshiping online. And uh, man, what an honor it is to celebrate Mother's Day with each of you. Um, just want to reaffirm, if you haven't been baptized or maybe it's been like a long time ago and you wonder if it's stuck, you know, let us know. And we'll be glad to do that next Sunday. We do it out front here in the fountain. And uh, man, be glad to be part of that piece of your spiritual journey. If you're ready for that, just sign up, let us know. And um, also, uh, we do core night here. So as if you've been around the church for a while, you know that me and the business meetings don't do well. And uh, so we changed our business meeting and we made it a celebration meeting. And so next Sunday night, the, the band comes, they sing, uh, Paul leads so much of the staff through funny things that have happened this year uh, behind the scenes. And then um, for the last few moments, I kind of just share kind of this un- raw pastor heart time. It's one of these one, one of these few times I don't actually have to prepare my remarks. I can just share with you what I'm thinking about. And so that's next Sunday night, core night. Come be part of that. I think that'd be, that'd be awesome. So uh, voting Sunday here, we vote for our leadership. And um, what that means is um, we provide uh, kind of backgrounds of different leaders and um, you can uh, vote for them. You go back in the youth room here on this campus or uh, wherever your campuses are, they, they have voting stations as well. So let's pray. Jesus, you're so great to us, and we're here to celebrate you. We're here to celebrate motherhood. We're here to celebrate the fact that you forgive sin and redeem us. And so, Lord, for the next few moments, would you you just capture us, capture our hearts afresh and anew, and provide what what we need in your name. Amen. Ah, man. So, um, like some of you, uh, my mom passed away a few years ago. And um, so you never really know how the holidays are going to strike you. Are you all with me? And so like, it's like, man, you know, like it doesn't matter how long ago it was. It can just come in a wave. And, and um, so most of the time around Mother's Day, I'll think of a fond memory or something mom and I would laugh about or, you know, something like that. And it kind of is my moment with mom. Um, and then sometimes it's, it's rare, but sometimes it'll be a time that I really hurt mom. And I'll think through that. I'll think, man, you know, I wish I would have done that differently or something like that. And, and this year, it's actually been the latter that's, that's come through and wherever my psyche is or whatever, I don't, I don't have any idea. But sometimes you remember the hurt and, and that, that happened for me. So for me, the hurt that I caused mom that I was thinking about is actually was in the sixth grade. And um, it, it was a rough year for me. I'm not saying that's the last time I hurt mom. There were plenty, you know, along the way. But that's the one that was that's standing out. So it was a rough year for me. And it, uh, it was a rough year for my family. And so what I was doing was I was actually acting out in school because home had a lot of stress. Can all the teachers say amen? Scaredy. Okay, so that, that at home, so what that meant is at school, there were these like fights and disrespect and detention was actually part of the year for me. It was part of my life to be a good bit, but particularly the year. Now you're for the current generation, you, you people may not understand what a detention is. I just want to be clear. You see, back in the day, your teacher could do anything they wanted within reason to you to get you to behave. And if they called your parents, your parents would take the teacher's side. Because that's the way God wants things to be done, okay? I'm just being clear. That's what happens. And so your parents come and like your teacher, teacher conference, and they walk, hey, Tom's been doing this. When you got to the car, dad was like this. 
what in the world? You know, you kind of messing with the teacher kind of thing. So that's what I mean by detention. Now, detention back in our day was so different. It wasn't like lunch detention. You get to sit over there, eat by yourself and text your friends. No, no, no. These, we did hard time. It was hard time doing detention. I'll tell you what I mean. We were having to like, how many of y'all had to clean some chalkboards in your detention? Yeah, don't pretend you never did. How many of y'all had to clean erasers? Remember that? Had to go outside and clap erasers. That's why you can't handle the pollen now. All the chalk is still in your lungs. That's what's happened. Sue somebody. Go ahead. That's what happens. And then if it had the, the chalkboard was cleared and the erasers were cleared, you were out cleaning the teacher's car. That's what you did. And you stayed in detention until dark. That's what you did back in the day. It was hard time. So I would begin my school day, even in the sixth grade, with the best intentions. We, I walked to school during that time of my life. And, and so I would, I would self-talk on my way to school in the sixth grade. And I would say, okay, Tom, let's just practice not saying anything today. Like no talking in class. Tom, don't make fun of everybody or anybody. Just don't get people to laugh. Just stay in your own little bubble. Pretend there's a bubble, Tom. Stay in the bubble. And no fighting today. No matter what's being said or no matter how bored, just, just be a good person. Study and learn, Tom. That's what school's all about. You're supposed to study and learn and make something of your life. And inevitably, before I got out of homeroom, I would mess up all those things despite the intentions. Just couldn't do it. One particular detention or day, I got detention for like the 20th time that month or something like that, at least as I remember it. And, and, and I don't remember what it was for, uh, to, be, to be honest. Probably the teacher, I'm assuming, did not appreciate my creative imagination and my need to tell others what I'm thinking about. Ironically, that's exactly what I get paid to do today. <laughs> I don't know if she's here or not, but I just wanted you to know that. So, so as I sat in, in detention, teacher didn't even call home. Didn't even call my home. We didn't have a phone. But mom would like, yeah, he's probably in trouble again. And so um, she just assumed that's where I was. So as I sat there serving my time, uh, wearing those striped outfits they gave us for detention back in the day, and a little ball and chain, and I, I just... I couldn't handle the idea of walking into the house and seeing that look of disappointment on mom's face again. I just didn't want to go through it. I mean, it wasn't like, she wasn't like really aggressive or anything. It's just like I could see it. I knew that I'd blown it again. And so I didn't want to do that. And so I decided that I would run away in the sixth grade. I said, I'm going to take the road. I'm going to find me a train and hop on it kind of thing, you know. And so um, I, didn't, I didn't have any money. But the teacher left the room and left her pocketbook in their desk. Oh, don't judge me. Do not judge me, people. She's a teacher. She had two bucks, okay? It was two bucks in her pocketbook. And I took it, and if that doesn't get me into heaven, so be it. So nonetheless, it was $2. I grabbed that two bucks, went out and bought me a Hostess cupcake or something like that and a Coke. And so everything's great. I'm walking the road, doing hard time, walking away from home because I didn't want to go home and face disappointing mom. Now, I'll tell you why I share that story. The idea of not being able to do the right thing even though I really want to do the right thing, wasn't just true of my relationship with mom. It was true of my relationship with God. Anybody else? And I carried that with me for a long time. A long time. He said, Tom, how are things between you and God? I would say, I really want to do the right thing. I want to be like Jesus. I want to be the person the pastor keeps talking about. 
I want to be the man that Lisa wants me to be or my parents hope I'll be. And I would do the self-talk. I learned scripture and I'd learn hymns and I'd memorize and I'd sing. And no matter what I tried, I couldn't make myself right. Does that make sense to you? It's really important to me that you kind of understand what I'm saying right here, that we're kind of all on the same page because I'm hoping this just isn't my story. I'm hoping many of us in the room can relate to this. I, I talk with marriage partners all the time who they'll sit on my couch in the office and they'll determine, say, I'm going to change something to help this relationship. I'm going through a massive change about something only to fall back into the exact same pattern of behavior. I'll have men come by and visit in the office and they'll sit in my office and say, Tom, I got caught doing this and I'm never going to do it again. It absolutely hurt people I love, hurt my marriage, hurt my children. It's embarrassing. I'm never going to do this again. Only to find themselves a month and a half later doing the exact same dead gum thing again. Anybody else relate? And so we're like, what's happening here? What's the problem? And let me share what I think might, the problem might be. I think we're treating the symptom, but we're neglecting the source. We may be painting the outside of the house, but inside the house is exactly the same. Follow? I may look better out here because I've decided to stop doing this or start doing this. And so you think, man, Tom's on a good road, but inside nothing's changed. I'm just as jacked up as I ever was. And I want it to do right, but in all honesty, I'm not right. And so today, we're looking at what makes us right. God's righteousness, and actually it would be dikaiosune, and here's a definition you can use. It's equitable in character or action. Now, I want you to read the equitable thing with me. So would you do it with me? One, two, three. Equitable in... Now, that's an intimidating statement. It's going to get worse. Whose character? Get this. God's. We're in a dookie moment right here, people. I'm telling you right now, this is not a good place. If that's what we're doing, y'all want to take a time to look around the room to see how many you think? <laughs> I mean, this raises an all... Oh, <laughs> that... What, yeah, thank you. This raises the all-important question for me. If I'm supposed to be equitable in character or action of God... How in the world is that supposed to happen? How does that take place? We've certainly all tried things on our own. We've tried to clean ourselves by doing good things and getting back into church or volunteering or whatever, stopping a certain behavior that we all think was wrong. But if you've tried those things, as I have, you have discovered we do not have the ability to make ourselves right. We can't do it. I can't scrub hard enough to get everything right. Adam and Eve did the one thing God asked them not to do. They ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And once they ate of that tree, they put themselves in detention and hid from God. God comes into the garden and knows something's wrong because they're hiding. He knows they've disobeyed him. Look how God responds. And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. If you're an underliner of scripture, you should underline this. I'll tell you why. Because two firsts have happened, but they won't be the last. God made clothing from animal skins. What that means is this. Something had to die as a result of Adam and Eve's sin. 
and then God clothed them. Something had to die, God clothed them. Today, I'm going to do my best to be your attorney. Yeah, I've been watching uh, Matlock, uh, for you old people, Perry Mason. Um, I've been watching all these things, and so I feel fairly, well, I feel very confident, to be honest, um, that I can get us through this, um, even though this should really scare you, especially if you are an attorney. And the reason I want to temporarily take on the role as your attorney is because of the passage of Scripture that I want to look at reads like a legal document. And, it, and, and the reason we need to read it is it answers our question. So today in court, we're all looking at a trade deal. And as my client, you're going to have to decide whether or not you want to take the trade. You should also know this will be a billable hour for you. I mean, I'm planning on you getting a little something in the mail just to let you know. So here it is, Romans 3, verse 10. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. As your attorney, I recommend you turn to your neighbor and say, we toast. Go ahead, just tell them, we toast. I mean, if that's true, let's let's close up the doors. Let's sell the property. It's a great time to sell property. So let's sell the property because this is not looking great. And you know that phrase, no one righteous? (laughs) He's talking about you, me. Despite what your mama or your grandpa might have told you, we are the all have turned away team. That's us. You say, Tom, I have it on good authority. I'm a really good person, especially compared to most everybody else. I may not be an A student, but I'm I'm a strong D student. Here's our problem. That person or group of people that you're comparing yourself to, they're not the standard. God is. You ready for this one? We're actually measured against God's glory, God's holiness, and God's righteousness. That's the standard. We worship a pass-fail God. God's not grading on a curve. You say, Tom, I don't like that. Well, buckle up, buttercup, because it's going to get worse from here. You have no legal ground to stand on to convince anybody you're righteous. None. There's no evidence to support your case. The prosecution has an open and shut case. And as your attorney, who is apparently doing a terrible job up to this point, I'm obligated to tell you, we're going to lose this case. Because I can't find anything anywhere that says you're righteous. Oh, wait a minute, there's more. But now, a righteousness from God, apart from law has been made known to which the law and prophets testify. Not sure what we're talking about here yet, people, but this is the first glimmer of hope we've had in your case. There's a new righteousness out there. God is the standard, but he reveals in his rules and regulations the over 600 laws found in Scripture. He reveals how far we are from the standard. I think that's why, in part, the Old Testament law is in there. The purpose of the law is to teach us we cannot live up to the law. 
We can't keep the law. We cannot live up to God's righteous standard no matter how much self-talk we give. Nobody can be that good. Even boring people can't be that good. So not only are we not righteous, but we can't do anything about it in and of ourselves. Let me show you the verse again. You see those words, apart from law? Those three words changed the founder of the Protestant Reformation's life, part of what we are, we are engaged in right now. Martin Luther was a tormented soul because he couldn't self-talk his way into this. He couldn't make himself righteous. He couldn't live up to that righteous standard he read in Scripture. And Luther's theology changed the course of history. This is how he described it. Lord Jesus, you are my righteousness. I am your sin. You took on what was mine, yet set on me what was yours. People, I know this should be hope coming. This is the last chance we have. You became what you were not, that I might become what I was not. When when Luther realized there was a righteousness that actually came from God, apart from the law, it changed his life. It's what Paul says next in his letter. This righteousness from God that might be our only hope comes through faith in Jesus. Not just to special people. To all who believe. There is no difference. Paul is writing to a group of people who believed they were JV Christians and there were varsity Christians. And some are wondering if they would make the cut. Paul's making this earth-shattering claim that there really is no distinction. Righteousness comes through faith in Jesus, not your ability to do right and be right all the time. We are all the same. What does that mean, Tom? It means this. Everybody sinned and falls short of the glory of God. That's our condition. That's our situation. Nobody makes the grade. Everybody gets the tension outside Jesus. In any comparison to God, we are all less than. You say, Tom, I struggle with feeling guilty. Well, you know, you know why? Because you're guilty. Yeah, that's why. But Tom, I got guilt for things. Yeah, I know. It's because you're guilty. Ah, this is all too intense. Court calls recess. Learned that on Matlock. Yeah, court calls recess. So we get to go outside and play in the jungle gym for a while. It's going to be fantastic. I want to tell you a story, actually. It's the reason I called recess. There was this man, and this man had these two sons. And, and the younger one wanted to leave home and see what he could do with his life. And so um, he said to the father, hey, how about give me all my inheritance now and let me go? And the father said, okay, I'll do that. So he divides his property between the two boys. And the younger one gathered all his wealth, and he, and he headed anywhere that he could go, anywhere but home. He, did, he didn't, didn't want to go home. And man, he let the good times roll, this youngest son. He was living high on the hog, so to speak. Are you all familiar with that phrase? Okay, good. Two of us are going to get this. So high on the hog. And, um, and, he, and he was just partying all the time. And so it was fantastic. He, but wine, women, and song eventually means you're going to lose everything. And he lost all his wealth. Added to the loss of wealth, a famine hit the land that the guy was in, Jewish boy, the land he was in, and so he couldn't find any work, and so he actually ended up 
like uh, caring for pigs, which would be an unclean animal for Jewish people. And as he's caring for the pigs, he looked and saw what they were eating. And he said, man, I don't have much to eat. Maybe I'll, I'll start gnawing on one of those pods the pigs are eating. And when you're sitting in a pigsty, things get very real. He was filthy on the outside and he was filthy on the inside. Hungry, lonely. And he started to think about home and realizing things weren't so bad that even his father's servants were doing better than he was. So he practiced a speech that maybe he could make to his father that might cause his father to take him back in. Leave the pigsty and try to go home. And the speech he wrote was this, Father, I've sinned against heaven, I've sinned against you. I'm no longer even worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So with speech in hand, he headed toward home. The father apparently was watching for his youngest son because scripture says he actually saw the younger son coming down the drive. And he was so overwhelmed. Tears of compassion ran down his face and he ran to his boy, picked him up. Oh, what a sight. Imagine what a sight, this father hugging this son who had ran away. And he said, Ben, I thought you were gone and now you're found, you know. Imagine the condition of the robe the son was wearing. Covered in pig slop and pig other stuff. Wine spills. Smelling like body odor and urine. And he shows up to the father wearing that robe. He limped to the father wearing his guilt and shame on his shoulders. Well, when he got there, the kid that had taken off on the wine women song thing went into his speech. Father's hugging him. He's like, Dad, I have sinned against you. He tried to get it out, you know. I sinned against you and sinned against heaven. But it was like the father didn't even hear him. <laughs> his, his boy... His boy was home. He thought he'd lost him, and the boy was home. In fact, listen to what the father actually said, because it's kind of amazing. The father said to his servants, quick, bring this best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Somebody say amen. Something died and something was clothed. Sound familiar? What does the father do? In Jesus' story, the father gives the boy a brand new robe not just any robe, but his best robe. As you think about all your sin, don't think for a second that you can make your robe clean. 
The only chance you have is to put yourself at the mercy of the Father. He cleans you up after you turn to him. There really is no other way. And that just kind of makes sense. God never changes the robe of righteousness to fit me. But God will change me to fit the robe. Court is back in session. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Justified is a legal term, and as your attorney, I feel the need to describe it. Let me see if I can communicate its meaning. Imagine in our courtroom if the judge were suddenly to bang his or her gavel and declare, you know what, you're righteous. Just as if you've never screwed it up, just as if you've never sinned based on not your standard, but based on the judge's standard, based on God's standard. That's what justified means. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We can see that. Here's the part you may not also see about yourself. These same group of all are justified as if you've never sinned freely by God's grace. Somebody say it. Just as if you've never sinned. Wait a minute. That's God's standard. We may be gnawing on a bone that will actually tell us how to get there. How are we clothed in righteousness? Well, someone had to die. In this case, it was the Son of God, the perfect sacrifice for the sins of the world. And that is available to me and to you through grace. God's undeserved favor. Just like the returning son couldn't earn his new robe, the father put it on him. How is it possible you and I can get a robe of righteousness from the father? Someone had to pay. God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. Listen, don't miss that part. God the father presented the son. Why? So we could get a new robe, a robe of righteousness. What would cause a father to give up a son? Apparently this. People are made right with God when they self-talk their way to school in the sixth grade. People are made right with God when they scrub everything up on the outside, leave the inside the same. No, no. There's only one way we're made right with God. It's when we believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. Then Jesus paid the price, and he took on our filthy robe, and he gave us a brand spanking new, pure as the driven snow robe of righteousness for anybody who believes. As your attorney, I feel obligated to tell you This is the best trade deal you will ever receive.
just before World War I, back when the press was actually good. It's true, people. Don't listen to the press. They jacked up people right now, I'm just telling you. Listen to Facebook. That's where the truth is. <laughs> Dude, I'm going back to reading tea leaves. I mean, I don't really know what's going on. Thank you. <laughs> Just before World War I, they actually had this cool thing that happened um, in England. So the Times of London ran this series of letters and they asked people to write into the editor answering the question, what is wrong with the world? And thousands of people wrote in what they thought was wrong with the world, again, just prior to World War I. One particular response rose to the top, and actually after this response, it pretty much shut down the whole conversation. Uh, The response came from writer, philosopher, and theologian G.K. Chesterton. He said this. He wrote, to the editor of the Times of London, you ask what is wrong with the world? I am sincerely G.K. Chesterton. God has promised to give us a new heart since the Garden of Eden. When something had to die and God clothed us. And then he says the same thing in Romans. And he says it in the between of Scripture too. Here's what he said through the prophet Ezekiel. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away. Oh, that's such good news. And you know what, Tom? I'm going to give you a new heart, and I'm going to put a new spirit in you. And so all of a sudden, it's not just clean on the outside. It's clean on the inside. I need to tell you, that's a good trade. Well, my running away from home didn't last too long. I made a crucial mistake. Um, I actually called to talk to mom. We didn't have a phone, but we neighbor had a phone. So I called the neighbor and said, hey, would you go across the street and get my mom? And they did. And mom comes to the phone and, man, once you hear mama cry, you're going home. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and it was near supper time, so there was that as well. I walked in the house, and it was quiet. Nobody was around. Walked upstairs to where mom and dad's bedroom was. And um, I heard her before I saw her. As I got to her room, the, the door was just slightly ajar, you know. And I could look in, and mom was kneeling beside her bed, praying for me. I couldn't understand all she was saying. But I heard every time she said my name and just stood there at the door waiting to hear her say it again. And I heard her pray that God would capture my heart. And he did. He did. Can I ask you a personal, deeply personal question? You don't have to answer me. 
Has God captured your heart? No games, no fake, no plastic, just genuine. Because if he hasn't, you should take Jesus up on this. I'm not sure what you're waiting for. If you insist on your own merit, proving you're good enough, your own self-righteousness, let me say, that's a bad plan. I think we all stand before our creator one day and all of our unrighteousness will either be paid for by the blood of Jesus or by our own. Your self-righteousness won't save you, but the righteousness of Jesus can save you. Something had to die, and he did. He did. So we can now be clothed in a robe of righteousness. I've been pastoring a long time, and God is doing something in our gatherings these days. I sense it. Probably some of you do as well. Over the last few weeks, I've seen people come forward and pray on the carpet up here, which we don't normally do because the subwoofers are going to throw you to the back of the room if they really kick it in. You know what I'm saying? And I'm fear for you. But it's okay if that's what you want to do. I've watched people kneel down right where they are. That's also okay. My point is this. Decide which robe. And if you decide to lay down the robe you've made and pick up a robe of righteousness, well, let us know. We'll meet you in the baptism tank next week and celebrate. You can be pure, made white as snow, through the power of Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you for your goodness to us and your love. Thank you for the power of your spirit. Oh, Jesus, would you work in the gathering those worshiping at home, those worshiping in this room, those worshiping in the overflow this morning, would you, Holy Spirit, speak to hearts? I'm praying some robes will come off and be exchanged for a robe of righteousness. I'm praying that people will stop trying, start believing and accepting what you can do on their behalf. That is our hope, and it is our only hope. Only this, you can make us white as snow. If God speaks to your heart, I hope you'll receive it. In your name, amen.